does it stop or how do I stop? Yeah, go ahead and start recording. Uh, and we'll just, we'll hang out for a minute before we like cool. start, start and just make sure to give you a chance to get comfortable. And then Sounds I usually good. like steal a couple of seconds of if somebody says something funny and I use it as like a cold open for the okay. episode. Wow. That was a lot of pressure for me to say something funny. That's I, what, well, yeah. That's what everyone Lee goes through this every day <laughs> or every week. <laughs> it's true. I'm constantly under pressure to be funny. Uh, I'm excited to, to say something funny. I have never done it before. So if you get really? a good one, please, mm, please send it to me. Well, I'll have a... <laughs> the bar isn't that high on this podcast, honestly. <laughs> I mean, we're a Magic the Gathering podcast. We're not like real entertainers. No one ever comes into the comments and like critiques our stand up, which is honestly pretty cruel. You want someone to critique your stand-up? In no. The we need feedback. We'll never improve. Oh, pretty cool. I thought you it. said cruel. I did. I, I did. Like, but... Oh, you did say cruel. Okay. <laughs> Nobody wants us to get better. They're just happy to allow us to like wallow in our mediocrity. Maybe you're perfect. And then, then they just like skip forward 30 seconds. They're like, where's the Magic the Gathering content? They have to stop. <laughs> These idiots are telling jokes. All we want is to hear about Underworld Breach. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 238 of the MTG Grindcast, the grindiest grindcast in all of Central North Carolina. Thank you, Lee, I appreciate that. Uh, we are your hosts, I'm Chris Carasser-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hello, Chris. And joining us as a guest, we haven't had a guest in a couple of weeks, we had like a long run of guests and then then took some time off uh but this week we've got jesse robkin aka titty pills here to talk with us about some uh underworld breach grinding station deck building and play jesse how's it going it's going well thanks for the the titty pills shout out <laughs> gotta rep the brand <laughs> i i saw that it was listed in your uh tcg player article oh yeah so that's oh was it really i didn't notice that yeah john corpora who asked me if I wanted to do the article, quote tweeted my tweet and said, overjoyed to have the word titty pills in like the header of an article. Also, the article is good too, but <laughs> <laughs> that's secondary. Yeah. He had an agenda as it were. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For those of you in our audience who are not aware, Jesse recently top aided the modern 5k at SCG Con. It was what, Indianapolis? Yeah. I, yeah. I have a hard time keeping track of the ones I'm not at with underworld breach and you've been working on this deck for a while right yeah so literally since the card underworld breach was spoiled in theros beyond death like just over two years ago i have been uh trying to break it at various points putting it down picking it back up um i played a version of this deck uh in mtg vegas not to great success although i partly blame I had a kind of a really weird morning that morning that put me, it's not a very good deck to play if you're not in the right like headspace for it. Cause there's so many triggers to keep track of and so many lines you have to take at any given moment. But yeah, so I've been playing this deck. Uh, it's been a love of mine literally for as long as breach has existed. And this most recent version I was playing for, I would say like a, about a month before Indy started, but yeah, I pick it up, put it back down, et cetera. That's even before Luris was banned, right? Because Luris was banned two weeks before Indy, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I guess it wouldn't have been a month then. Because I started playing it after. Once Luris... 
No, what it was was when we thought Luris was going to get banned at that like big announcement, I was like, oh, Breach is maybe going to be good. Back on um, the menu. And then, yeah, it, Breach <laughs> is back on the menu, boys. So I like I fiddled with it a little bit. And then Luris wasn't banned. I set it down. And then, surprise, Luris, bans, uh, Luris gets banned. Uh, and I uh, was like, oh, I wonder, Breach you up? Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> What is it about the Luris band that makes Breach so so much more tempting to play? Is it yeah. a, purely a Death Shadow consideration, or are there like more secondary effects of that? I would say there are two main reasons why Luris being banned makes the deck playable. The first is yes, like Luris Death Shadow, and then also even worse, uh, Luris Jund was like just unwinnable the card tarmogoyf was just it's just such a fast clock and like mm-hmm. you know uh you play unholy heats as your like primary removal spell but like everything you do to get delirium also grows their goyf and so it's just like it's really hard to kill their goyf um and then you know all the interaction in the world hand hate you know etc and then if somehow you get through all of that then oh now they have luris and they are you know grinding you out of the game so that's the big one is like those two major predators of the deck are gone and then the second really big one is uh the breach deck is a luris deck that was never allowed to play luris because of emery so like all your Mm -hmm. cards are less than two like cmc but uh you don't you can't put luris in your deck and so it was kind of like you were operating under the same constraints as all the other luris decks but you didn't have the reward that was like one of the most broken cards in magic's history so yeah, now you get to do it, and uh, there's no there's no downside. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't you don't have that feeling of guilt for registering all zeros, ones, and twos, and not having Luris hanging out in your sideboard. Exactly. It was always because I played this deck a lot too, and it was always a real shame when your opponent like played Luris, and you like yeah. hadn't drawn Imri yet, and you're like, come on, this is yeah. It's like, <laughs> how does it feel to live my dream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So not everyone in our audience is going to be like super familiar with this deck as it exists in this iteration, this like Raghavan, DRC, Emery version of the Breach combo deck. So uh, would you mind just kind of running down like what the components of this deck are and sort of how it works and and why it's put together the way it is? Uh, Totally, yeah. Essentially, the like meat of the deck is you have... You're playing a lot of legendary creatures, or not a lot, but you're playing four Raghavan and four Emery are like your your two main draws to playing these two colors. Uh, you've got DRC sort of rounding out the creature base, and it's a little bit maybe unintuitive why DRC is, is good in this deck, because obviously it doesn't turn on Mox Amber, but uh, what it does do is uh, it pairs insanely well with the card underworld breach because you know when you have an underworld breach in play surveilling one means draw a card so and if you have multiple in play it just gets out of control so that's like the creature package you've got the combo which we can get into if you want uh the combo uh, of underworld breach plus grinding station which are two cards that fuel each other or grinding station like provides the fodder you need to cast spells from your graveyard with uh, underworld breach and then you've got Cheap artifacts to reduce the cost of Emery and to loop with Grinding Station and to, uh, you know, generate mana and draw cards. And then you've got your basic, you know, red removal with Unholy Heat and Lightning Bolt. You've got um, the most uh, powerful draw card spell in uh, modern in expressive iteration. Um, and that's the, the like, sort of 
what the deck is. And then, you know, there's a billion different routes you can go in terms of sideboard cards uh, in these two colors, because um, whether or not you want to protect your combo or pivot away entirely or, you know, interaction for your opponent's stuff. Yeah. And we're definitely going to spend a fair amount of time asking you questions about sideboarding and stuff like that, because I think that's one of the main places where lists differ and philosophies differ absolutely it's also a combo deck so that's where all the play comes from because <laughs> you play one absolutely. main board game and your deck like every underworld breach deck in the main deck is going to be like relatively the same because those cards from modern horizons 2 are just too powerful to escape really uh the drc yeah. ragavan thing and then from absolutely. there it's just like all right what's in your sideboard what's your plan and that's the bulk of most combo decks <laughs> So one thing that I have been curious about with this deck generally, not having to do with sideboarding at all, though, how often does the creature package, like what is having like bodies and power and toughness on the board actually like contribute to the game plan in in games one? Is that like more of a distraction? Do you kill people with Raghavans that often pre-board or like what, how, how do those kind of play out? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty common question, right? Because you have this, this combo kill that's not even really a creature combo kill, although you need a creature to generate mana, but then you have these, you know, bodies on the, on the battlefield. The way I sort of think of it is it is, I think, similar to like a Splinter Twin style combo deck where you're 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 pressuring your opponent with your Ragavan, your DRC, um, your Emery, like not dealing damage but drawing cards and creating an insurmountable card advantage engine. And your opponent is does not have the luxury to sit around and wait until you combo. They have to answer the boards. You also have uh, the construct tokens from Urza Saga. That's the other thing I forgot to mention in the um, like what the makeup right, of the right. deck is is in addition to all these other things, you're also an Urza Saga deck. And while you don't have ways to recur the Saga tokens, you have, uh, or the Urza Saga itself, uh, you can generate very large constructs and put a lot of pressure that way. So yeah, so your opponent is, uh, against some combo decks, there may be, if you think about like, you know, more classic, like Storm or something like that, the the combo player isn't doing a whole lot Mm -hmm. to impact the board or affect the game until it's time for them to try to execute their combo. With Breach, you are absolutely affecting the board, ideally uh, on every turn. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to win because the combo itself is relatively fragile. You need to be forcing your opponent into awkward game states, awkward board states, uh, and and having to make decisions they don't even really want to make and sort of maneuver around that. So whether you're winning with you know, monkey and DRC, whether you're winning with construct tokens uh, or you're winning with the combo itself, really it varies from game to game depending on how your opponent tries to stop you. A lot of the time, you know, the, the creatures will allow you to combo because your opponent will have to tap out in order to answer them. Other times mm-hmm. the combo will allow you to finish the uh, the game with the creatures, right? Because they've, you know, answered your combo, but then you have, you've been sandbagging Emery or you've Raghavan and you dash it and take over the game that way. Sure. I mean, I, I completely get what you're saying about the fragility of the combo. There's like small echoes of Storm here where like one of the big problems with Storm as a combo archetype is like every single type of interaction and hate like worked against it. Graveyard mm-hmm. hate, creature removal, hand disruption, counter spells were all powerful against Storm here. Your combo itself it's even is worse. vulnerable to yeah, <laughs> yeah, all, kind of all the same stuff. Especially because like the hidden bit is you need a creature to turn on Mox Amber to make your mana to keep going through your deck. So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense that you just need to present 
these threats and these kind of like distraction pieces to force your opponent to do things other than just like having Tormod's crypt in play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 exactly like Storm in that sense. Uh, plus, like artifact hates also good against you. Enchantment hates removal is also good against you. And you know, it just yeah. If if they, if there is an angle of attack your opponent has post sideboard, it will be good against you. One of the things that I think makes this deck uh, relatively good is that there. It, it seems like the creature damage plan is completely at odds with the. I'm going to win the game with Thassa's Oracle plan. Like, you don't need... Theoretically, you don't need damage to win that way, right? Mm -hmm. But the creatures themselves, like, you're playing Dragon's Age Trailer, uh, Ragavan, and Emery. Those are all working towards your combo game plan while killing your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I talk a little bit about... But, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I talk a little bit about this in in the article where, like... Uh, you know, there's talk of like, do you want consider or serum visions or something like that in the deck? And I, I firmly believe that you can't have any cards like that that are dead air. You need to be, you know, everything needs to be doing multiple things at once in order for your deck to function in a, you know, a meta that is capable of stopping any given one of your game plans. Yeah. So your list of cheap things in your list, you know, you've got your combo pieces, but then you've got an ether spell bomb, a spring leaf drum some removal spells and unholy heat and galvanic blast and your moxes and your expressive iteration so it's it's very tight like there isn't really room here to be putting cantrips in the deck all of those cards are pretty necessary it feels like i don't really know where people will find the room if they want to add cantrips but uh uh, i don't know (laughs) everyone has different ideas everyone has said something in the deck isn't good almost every single card in the deck i've heard someone be like well can't we build it without this card and i just like i don't know what you're talking about like this Every single card in this 60, I think, is extremely valuable to the game plan. See, I people who have comments like that should just try to play the deck without whatever card they think and then play whatever they want. And they will quickly see how like House of Cardsy this deck is, because I do a lot of tinkering with this deck myself. Oh, yeah. And Same. you remove a card from a slot and you feel it's lost pretty easily. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of attempting to iterate on the deck and I keep just coming back to my like tried and true list. And I think DRC in particular is, is one that a lot of people, DRC and Emery are two two common ones that people have critiques for. Um, and both of them are so good with the card Underworld Breach that I, I can't imagine playing the deck without four of each. Yeah, that seems tough, especially because, you know, you have all these Mox Ambers in the deck. It, it feels really hard to cut any legendary creatures from your three Mox Amber deck. But also, people, I don't think people, res- and I'm probably jumping ahead of what we should talk about, like a linear sense, eh. but whatever. I think pe- a lot of people undercut Underworld Breach as a card you can play on other than the last turn of the game, kind of. Absolutely. Like, one of the cool things I like about this deck is that you can play an Underworld Breach even if you have nothing in play and you don't have the combo, right? And you can just play a Dragon's Rage channel from your graveyard. And then once that's in the battle on the great on the battlefield, you can play a Mistress Volvo from your graveyard and then you surveil and you, you just like get an, a lot more extra mileage out of your cards while doing that. And Dragon's Rage Channel is a big part of that. Yeah, I think the the best feeling in the world, well, aside from winning the game with Underworld Breach, is is uh, <laughs> is, you know, I had a I was playing in some local thing recently. Um 
and I was playing against like a blue white control deck and I had a value breach and I, I passed the turn and drew up to 10 cards in my hand on their upkeep. <laughs> like, like I drew four <laughs> cards, which put me at 10 <laughs> cards in hand and I had like two threats in play. It's like, how do they ever beat that? I did win the game. I just, you know, sl- more slowly. <laughs> like It's it's really difficult to forget your bobble triggers when you have like four of them to do. They, oh, I'm capable of it though. Don't, <laughs> don't sell me short. <laughs> just draw five of your cards instead of six you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah anything else about just sort of the deck composition or how it works before we uh move on a little bit to like its place in the meta and like when you should play it and and why it's good now besides just the fact that that Luris is gone but there are other reasons i believe should i just really quickly explain what what exactly the combo is between granny station and underworld breach you or have you talked about it enough like that i i mean i think that's probably a good idea we often like assume like high level of knowledge of our audience i think it's probably not always reasonable to assign (laughs) to them uh just because like lots of different people listen so that's probably a a really good idea actually yeah i'll just uh it's just very simple you with with the grinding station creates an untapped trigger every single time an artifact enters the battlefield uh grinding station says tap sacrifice an artifact uh to um mill three cards uh, or have a target player mill three cards basically um so you're recasting mox amber with underworld breach the grinding station is fueling the uh the mox amber's escape cost from underworld breach and you're milling your entire deck generating mana each time uh, if you have a legendary creature in play and cast thassa's oracle to win the game boy thassa's oracle just always showing up <laughs> what a card what imagine a if we had to play lab maniac and then you know play like draw a card. crack a crack a mistress bobble at the end of the combo and pass the turn like <laughs> just hope for the best <laughs> <laughs> no bolts no bolts i mean at that point <laughs> yeah. you just play correct all right sure yeah yeah i don't want to use the stack for this <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely wild how often that trinket text on like I we we've talked about the story of the design of that card. I don't know if you're familiar with the like. Yeah, it was they like just added they that just added to make a it flavor cool. almost, right? Like yeah, <laughs> nonsense. EDH is so happy to hear that. That's why they uh, they they ruined the format or whatever with uh, just because why not? Let's just add this to the card. Yeah, I have to. I I don't know anything about CEDH, but I just have to imagine that's like Thassa's Oracle, the format. That's my understanding as well. I've never played, but you know. Maybe maybe I'll continue to avoid it for now until <laughs> that's a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, so all right, so we we went over how Luris being gone is like a huge opening up in the metagame for a deck like this. Those Luris decks really attacked on an axis that made doing grinding station breach untenable. But now that it's gone, there's some extra room. But what else are you looking for in a metagame right now that makes you want to play breach? Like what decks is it particularly good against? What decks do you not want to play against so much? And and sort of like, I don't know, what are the vibes that make you choose to play this deck on a given weekend? Yeah, uh, I think I like this deck in more linear formats because it does a similar like splinter twin style approach to tron was kept in check by the fact that like splinter twin could just win the game on turn four Um, this deck is capable of winning the game on turn two uh, with the right draws and then i also honestly i find the deck to be pretty strong against like the blue control decks like the the especially like blue white and honestly four color what the deck doesn't want to see is like a format defined by big threat and interaction like like clock plus interaction which you know so the two worst matchups for the deck i would say are 
aside from Etron, which is unwinnable, we aren't going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is uh, Rhinos, which is like the biggest nightmare, and then um, Merktide can be a really tricky matchup to na- navigate because they put a big dragon sure. in play and then bolt your stuff. And the other thing is, uh, people have been skimping on graveyard hate recently. Um, if you look at like Wafo Tapa's blue white list that top aided or that that he won like multiple challenges with over the past couple weeks, he's cut rest in peace entirely from his sideboard and is playing Relic of Progenitus, which is a much more beatable card. It's really just how comfortable do you feel bringing this deck against whatever interaction people are playing at the moment and there are certain cards that are more effective against you than others even though everything is theoretically good against you um mm-hmm. and if you'll notice uh the top like tables of scg's indies 5k just a lot of graveyard decks there's a lot of dredge there was a lot of living end there was uh you know underworld breach like uh, i think the top eight had like five graveyard de- decks in it right right um, so it was a good time to be playing that particular t- uh, style of deck. Yeah, three three living ends, a Yogmoth deck, and you in that top Yeah, so eight. combo I, and graveyard. It's just like, holy cow. Yeah, this this was definitely a format to be playing Breach in, especially because, man, playing living end against this deck is not the funnest thing in the world. No. It's, definitely, it's definitely not like, you know, a lights out matchup for Breach, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's not fun for living end in general it's uh you got to draw a couple of force negations usually and and the fact that two of your like main game plan cards emory and granny station just like dump cards into your graveyard yeah that's so nice (laughs) yeah just like they cast living end you swap your emory's it's just like cool (laughs) (laughs) all right mill four again (laughs) yeah exactly when playing against sort of like broad archetypes in the format, you know, how how does the deck play out differently against like, you know, a control deck versus, you know, a deck with a clock like a Merktide deck or versus another combo-y deck? Like what are what are sort of the common like here's how this matchup here's the important things in this matchup sort of considerations? Yeah, I would say any given matchup in the metagame, one so Essentially, the deck has four game plans, right? You've got your your red one drop uh, plan. You've got your your Emery drawing cards plan. Your Urza Saga like making big constructs plan, and your combo kill. Generally speaking, one of these things will be the best thing that to do to beat a given deck, and then one of these will be less effective based on what the deck is is uh, trying, like what they are trying to accomplish on their own. So. I would say, like, if you're playing against a control deck like blue-white or even four-color that doesn't play to the board uh, as much or put, like, a big threat on you, it's your job to put stuff on the board that have to be answered because otherwise they'll be able to sit there with counterspells in hand. Eventually, when the coast is clear, like, play a Planeswalker and then you can't possibly win. I would say, like, in those types of matchups, uh, a, like, turn one, turn two threat is, like, almost mandatory if you want to win because uh, you can't let them get to the late game unattacked. Aggro matchups, your combo is generally your best route to victory. Your Raghavan is not going to be connecting as often, and they are unlikely to be able to stop you from comboing. So um, I, I would say that's also true in like sort of combo mirrors. Uh, calling it a mirror is a bit of a misnomer, but you know, um, mm-hmm. there are times like I played against Living End recently, and I knew my opponent was on Living End, and I basically mulliganed to a hand that had a combo had combo pieces in it i literally mulliganed to four um and my opening hand was like urza saga i think like like uh fetch land or something emery and grinding station and i went turn one urza saga go because my plan was to 
you know, tutor for a Mox Amber on turn three and just hope that like I have drawn the right cards at that point. And I ended up winning mm-hmm. that game through a subtlety even. But um, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, you're leaning on the combo. I, I would say that um, your one drop creatures in the combo matchups are also pretty valuable. You're not going to be winning the game with construct tokens, but you you will be, you know, generating the uh, mana generated by Raghavan super important and the filtering by DRC is really important. Mm-hmm. And then the sort of mid-range decks, like the more, you know, threat plus interaction style decks um, are definitely like the trickiest matchup for you, uh, which has like sort of historically been true for this type of archetype. But, um, and I would say Urza Saga is the best card against them. And then the threat of the combo is sort of the thing that you hold and you're, you're much more inclined to cash in your breach for, you know, three cards and a threat or something like that. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also Emery is really good in those matchups if you can get that going. Um, so, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, to ask about your specific build, you know, we kind of talked about how the main deck is is the way that it is and <laughs> there, there isn't so much room because the pieces are also important. But as far as your sideboard and, and then I guess we can kind of incorporate the discussion like why the cards that you chose uh, for this tournament or the the cards that you would choose now and then sort of sideboarding philosophy, which I think we can segue into from matchup because, you know, matchups where one plan isn't good. Are you sideboarding out cards from that plan? Like sort of like what is what is your board out philosophy generally? So part of the issue, I would say, is of your various game plans of the four game plans, right? It's really hard to board out entirely a, a few of them. Like you can't cut Urza Sagas from your deck, right? Because they are lands. Um, yes. You can't cut Emery from your deck because you need blue mana to combo. You can trim on Emery, but you can't cut her entirely. You need some amount of legendary creatures. So like some matchups, Ragavan is terrible and I do take Ragavan out, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not, um, that doesn't come without cost, right? And then uh, the combo, it's what, four, seven, eight, 11 cards in your deck, I think, right? Three Mox Amber, three Grinding Station, four Underworld Breach, and the Thassa's Oracle. You're not mm-hmm. bringing in 11 cards. You can't really function if you don't have the threat of the combo, at least, in your deck. Sometimes I will trim down very lightly, very light on the combo and leave like a single Mox Amber, a single Grinding Station, and the Thassa's Oracle. I very rarely will cut Underworld Breach because the card is so powerful individually, even if you're not comboing. But, like, but yeah. yeah, especially if your opponent you can expect some graveyard hate a majority of the time and even oh, yeah. those Everyone's matchups got underworld breach is still good because if they don't have it or they pop their relic already or whatever you yeah. just recover so fast if i see leyline game two i will sometimes go down to three or two underworld breach because like that's a particularly difficult card to beat for the most part i will keep all four breaches in cool so your sideboard uh from this tournament and I mean, you know, now this was nine days ago, so this may yeah. be ancient, especially given that this was a paper tournament and Magic Online moves like lightning fast. Yeah. And that multiple people just saw this deck in the top eight of a 5K and were like, oh, let's play this. This is new and different or because they, yeah. they hadn't seen it in a while. It really felt like a lot of people were like so thirsty for something new to do in the format. Um <laughs> Which, uh, I did. No, I did I think it was that. super funny watching a lot of people like start streaming the deck, and I'm like, "This has been around for a while, guys." Yeah, you just didn't exactly. Believe. <laughs> well, and it and it wasn't good. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean oh, like no, that's, against that's Luris, true. that's true. Yeah, yeah. 
like you know in a, in Lara's format so it was really hard to justify playing it if you weren't exactly jiggy wiggy well it was probably still hard then so <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our first episode when we talked about, hey, Loris is banned in modern, uh, at the end of the episode, we went, you know, what what decks do you want to try to play now? And Lee was just like, oh, it's it's time to play Underworld Breach. This is what I want to play now. It's time. <laughs> but yeah, so as far as sideboard cards go, uh, I based the list on a 5-0 list uh, that uh, Andre Mangucci posted on Twitter a while back and changed a lot of the sideboard cards. He was playing... For instance, Dragon's Claw and um, Spreading Seas and was playing fewer copies of Spell Pierce, all of which were, in my opinion, uh, bad decisions uh, because uh, as far as Dragon's Claw goes, the blue-red, I think if you have extra colors in your deck, Burn becomes a really hard matchup, but I would say the blue-red version is like heavily favored against Burn, in my opinion. Dragon's Claw seems like a waste of the sideboard space. And then um, also Burn's not real and can't hurt you. <laughs> and then the Spreading Seas, it's just not very mana efficient. I don't think Urza's Saga is actually that threatening for this deck. Your, your sagas are better than their sagas. Yeah, your sagas matches. fetch you a combo piece that wins the game. Their sagas make big boys and, you know. And then Spell Pierce, I think, is just so important in this meta. Like, it's just such a powerful card. I spell pierced in the indie 5k. I spell pierced a Teferi five when my opponent had six lands in play and it was so sick. <laughs> you know, what in particular makes spell pierce so good as a sideboard card in this deck? Your deck is forcing your opponent to use their mana as efficiently as possible. Otherwise they will die. And spell pierce makes that really difficult to do. So, you know, you're, you're threatening to win the game on turn three often or on turn four, you're putting a lot of creatures in play that are cheap. Uh, Emery, Plus, like, Mishra's Bobble plus Mox Amber with a Spell Pierce backup off the ma- Mox Amber mana is such an insane turn one play. And so, because you're, like, dominating the early turns in the game, Spell Pierce is basically one mana negate uh, most of the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. the card gets worse as the game goes on, but so does your deck. So, you know, just don't have the game go on that long. <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> and and where... So, are you, are you bringing it in in, like, a really wide variety of matchups? Are you mostly bringing it in when they have counter magic? Or what's what sort of your... Where is Spell Pierce best? Yeah, I, I am still sort of exploring the right times to bring in certain cards. Um, but I will say uh, it's obviously really great in, like, versus combo decks. Uh, it's Slam Dunk against Cascade decks and Tron, which it might be a little counterintuitive, but, you know, if they... Uh, you can you can Spell Pierce a, a seven mana Karn on turn three. I also bring it in against counterspell decks or interactive decks to some extent. I don't always bring in the full three copies. It really depends... Uh, I personally have a, a weakness in my game, which is I I see cards in my sideboard. I'm like, ooh, I, I want to put these in my deck, you know. And I, oftentimes, it's not always the best call. It's often better to just sort of stick to your your primary game plan. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I would uh, I'm often inclined to bring like two in against uh, the Grixis Death Shadow type decks, and three in against like blue white control and combo decks and stuff like that. Lee, what were you gonna ask? My question was about uh, Spreading Seas, mostly, because it's in the sideboard of like all these decks for some reason. Yeah. And one of the things that always bothered me about it, uh, and I've played it just because I'm assuming like everyone on Magic Online has to be right, you know? Like, I, who am I t- to go against yeah. everyone? <laughs> the the gestalt mind of <laughs> Moto Grinders. Yeah, and 
one of the things as you play this deck that become became clear to me is that the mana efficiency of this deck is really high. Like you're like you said earlier, it's basically a Luris deck, but you just mm-hmm. aren't playing Luris. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're and that's why some like putting in high mana value cards can feel very very clunky like i i, I tried a, a league with tameshi a little while ago and it was not very good because it was too expensive yeah. and spreading seeds like the same. back in the day too yeah burgy <laughs> same same deal and that one even gives mana <laughs> yeah uh spreading seeds is a two mana card have you played any with alpine moon like what do you i actually want to know your thoughts about alpine moon like specifically because it's much different than spreading seas yeah i my thought process with that was like you know you need so they they, the previous list have been playing three spreading seas obviously one spreading seas answers one urza saga but one alpine moon answers all their urza saga so i figured i could play two alpine moon and um and that would cover that same base but i found i just didn't find myself needing it very much um and my current list actually doesn't play alpine moon anymore I think the card, if Urza Saga decks are like a serious threat in the metagame, I think that's the card I would play going forward. But uh, I don't, I don't see that as like the reason or, or like a thing that we have to really think about that hard. So I, I swapped them for Aethergust, which is not as mana efficient, I will say, but I think it's a lot better against uh, some of the tougher matchups like Cascade and, and Yawgmoth and Four Color. Yeah, a, a pretty specific and significant secondary effect of the Luris ban is like an entire category of decks kind of no longer exists or no longer exists in the same way because like Luris and Urza Saga were best friends in yeah. a, a certain respect and now there are no more Luris Urza Saga decks anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I think Urza Saga is honestly a uh, more of a combo piece right now than it is a value engine uh, in this format. Sure. Because it's really uh, it's so much harder to make it a value engine right now. I mean, there's the Jun mm-hmm. Saga deck that still sort of exists that aspiring spike has been doing all right with i don't i don't know i don't think that the card is is really a value piece right now not in the current iteration of modern there's the the green black reclaimer deck yeah that everybody oh, that saw too, yeah. and then everybody won for a league with it and then stopped <laughs> playing it yeah a lot of people have won forward leagues with breach yeah. Well, but uh, yeah. I think that's for a slightly different reason. <laughs> that's not the easiest deck to play the first time that you play it. Certainly not. Well, when the person wins the challenge with a weird deck and their name is Musasabi, you just like write that one off. Absolutely. And so one other thing about this sideboard that is different from some other is it breach sideboards that I've seen is that you have three engineered explosives in the sideboard. You become you can transition to kind of a full-on emery engineered explosives control deck uh for certain matchups uh is that something that you're still doing how powerful do you think that is do you think that is like a particular draw to the deck yeah i think that that was the only thing that in the laris format could make you justify playing this deck i think um was being Mm -hmm. able to do that versus all the laris decks it's less important now but i will say a deck that that's good against can't can never ever beat that so you know it's something to keep in mind is like if hammer grows in popularity a friend of mine's been playing uh hammer with uh Tameshi in the sideboard and has literally been calling it luris just recurring urza sagas and hammers and stuff so um if that becomes like a more popular deck again i will probably be 
leaning more into the engineered explosive emery loops. For right now, I'm only playing two engineered explosives in my sideboard, um, but that's a definitely a variable number. Gotcha. Any general sideboarding tips with this deck? Where should people be like looking? Oh, sorry. I, go I ahead. have a composition question. So totally. a lot of the times these decks on lists didn't you you had an urza right in your i, don't I, have the I, yeah, I was playing one urza in, in the, the indie list so most people just don't have any pivot threats at all they're just trying to protect mm-hmm. their combo do you like pivot threats like which ones have you tried are they worth trying like what, what, what's your thoughts on that yeah i think pivot threats the more popular this deck gets i think the more valuable pivot threats become um i really benefited a lot in the indie 5k from people, I had to explain the combo to, I would say, at least half of the people I played against um, and explain to them why they were dead, um, which, you know, it's <laughs> just some fun banter across the table. Yeah, I, so I actually didn't bring in Urza very much th- during the tournament. And I think I like the idea of devoting one to two sideboard slots to some kind of pivot threat that particularly does not care about the graveyard. It's less about not comboing and more about not using the graveyard specifically because both drc and underworld breach care about the graveyard i've tried urza i've tried sahili from war of the spark the one that's sort of a young pyromancer i've tried i've I've briefly tried brazen borrower i think there might be something with the brazen borrower but i don't know i haven't played enough with it to have a a strong opinion about it right now Um, the one i'm excited to try literally as soon as we stop recording this podcast is i'm going to be playing chandra torture defiance in my sideboard for a little bit because i think the more i think about it the more i feel like it fits exactly the strength of this deck which is like attacking from a bunch of different angles yes it's a four mana card but it can't get mystical disputed which i think is a huge problem for both urza and like even sahili and and a few other things people keep bringing mystical dispute in against you it's not good against this breach deck but people will bring it in against you and then it'll be sitting there in their hand and then you'll try to slam your four mana blue card and they'll be like oh i got this this mystical dispute and then they'll, they'll you know kill it uh, so um the deck is like 97 percent red cards and then like four emeries <laughs> yeah exactly so i think that like that's really feeling about chandra i think uh it's such a fast clock the ultimate kills usually the turn you do it in this deck because you can just like escape breach three times and deal them 15 damage and and, and it's the t- it's a card that nobody will be like anticipating out of this deck because they're bringing in all their other stuff the one thing that like isn't good against your deck usually is planeswalker hate and so having a planeswalker post board i think is interesting it doesn't care about the graveyard so and you can accelerate into it with both ragavan and mox amber so sure um, that's the that's my that's what i'm excited about right now as of the time of recording <laughs> by the time the podcast airs maybe i won't be on that anymore <laughs> i i love ashandra torture defiance so i i totally get it i'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to put a word in for uh, the reality chip. Have you tried that card? I haven't tried that card. I know people, it's been suggested a couple times. So I, I'm in the tryout phase of it myself. I pretty much just play Mm -hmm. like locals though. So I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a moto grinder, if you would. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I saw it in the main deck of a few lists, but I didn't like it there because it just like isn't on plan. Yeah. But I tried it in my sideboard recently and I had a chromatic star in my main deck. Uh, just because okay. like that's not that's not like a bad card or anything it, it, yeah. it works extremely well with the reality chip because you can look at the tarp card of your library whenever you want just draw it uh, but one of the cool mm-hmm. things that i like with the reality chip is you can board it in it's not like a standalone threat or anything but it makes every card you play like a must kill 
Yeah. And that makes sense. It works scarily well with grinding station, like kind of making one of your worst cards playable. Oh, sure. Because you get to set up your draw. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely appealing. I, I feel like the downside, I mean, how often are you paying three mana Equiping to equip it. it? Yeah, that's the problem. But it comes off way more often than I, I only had one copy in my sideboard. I just brought sure. it in whenever and it, it impressed me enough. I mean, it is a legendary I creature. can talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to draw two of them. Um, well, but it turns on Mox Amber. That's too, what I'm saying. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, you can yeah. you can use that for Mox Amber. Yeah, I could see it. Um, I so I played a lot of uh, the blue white hammer deck uh, in the waning days of uh, Luris, and I love the reality chip. Big fan. I have three copies, and the reason I liked that deck was because you never had to pay three mana to equip yeah. that card. Like yes, you know, which I think like if you're paying two mana for that effect total. I think that effect's insane. And if you're paying five mana for it, it is not a modern playable card usually. So I've been resistant to trying it out. But uh, if you've been liking it, I might I might give it a spin. And I, I have a very low sample size. But I mean, there's I think the sideboard is like 10 cards I'm happy with and five I change every time. So yeah, that makes as, sense. That's as long similar. as we're in that sort of area, I'm willing to put like the reality ship on my sideboard, you know? Yeah. The other thing I will say I've been doing recently is uh, splashing uh, just like white off a single sacred foundry. Uh, some people try to play Teferi. I think that's not too, possible too to expensive. do in this deck. It's too expensive and it doesn't play well with either Urza Saga or your expressive iteration stuff because, you know, not Teferi obviously is fine with expressive iteration, but like having a white splash doesn't play well with expressive iteration or Saga. Uh, and so I often say you you need to pick three cards of Urza Saga to fairy and, and expressive iteration but i have been splashing a little bit of white for um wear tear i have one copy of wear tear in my current list and two prismatic endings and so far it's felt good it's felt relatively free i'm playing one fewer mountain and playing a sacred foundry um, and then you prioritize fetching white early if you bring in the white cards um so that's something i've been liking so far at the time of this comment if you are playing white then a possible juke i that i'm sure you've considered is monastery, monastery mentor. mentor but yeah I uh, I I had uh, my friend uh, Mason uh, Clark has been a big proponent of that card. I don't think that like splashing a win con is something I'm super yeah, excited about. Yeah, it's not the about, best, but because you know, but uh, it's definitely on the radar. Um, and if Chandra doesn't work out, maybe I'll try it out. No, if that card were just red, then it would definitely be awesome. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh a, a, Can you imagine a, a blue a monastery mentor? Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> reminded it. She just reminded me of like the card from the the Innistrad set that makes puppets. <laughs> the blue. Oh yeah. Ooh, now that might be the tech right there. <laughs> Little tutus that die. It doesn't work on artifacts though, right? It's only on center sorceries. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, I don't think mind. so. I think if you want that kind of card, Sahili is just the way to go. Um, right. Because you and can it... like play Sahili immediately, play a bobble or something, and make or play a Mox Amber, tap it for mana. Yeah. Heat mm-hmm. something. You have two one ones. Holy cow! That yes. stonks. We were doing that in standard for one exactly one weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and and what a weekend it was! Cast your <laughs> it was mistress a sweet bobble. Weekend. Get a one one. Turn that one one into a mistress bobble. Cash in for a card. You're Holy... doing it. Wait, I hadn't thought about that. Except it has summoning <laughs> sickness, so it can't. Well, it's, tap not, it's a to sacrifice. Now. It's not. A oh, that's true. Anymore. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. See, that's what I mean. This deck works so well together. You got <laughs> <laughs> so many pieces. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that line. That's yeah, don't smart. do it. It's it's not why you poured it. <laughs> no, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> you sold me. I'm going to put four Sahilis in my sideboard now. <laughs> so one of the, to steal your thunder while we're talking about like sideboard jukes, like the three mana point is really harsh for this deck. I, I, I like Brazen Borrower kind of as a, you know, 
it's a bounce spell you can cast it yeah. later but the Sahilis, the Urzas, Teferi, Monastery Mentor, I tried Tameshi. It's just so clunky into a like, otherwise kind of streamlined deck. Yeah. I will say that post-board games sometimes turn into top deck wars just because you know people will exhaust their resources trying to stop you. Sometimes they've sort of overboarded and they have all the answers to your stuff, but they don't themselves have something to do. So I, I think that there is some merit. I would never play more than like one or two, but it's also rough to have it in your opener when you, you know, look at your sick hand with just two lands or something. The Chandra is yeah. more interesting because it's not disputable, like you said. Like that that actually yeah. kind of matters a lot because a lot of Definitely. people just like you said, a lot of people don't have familiarity with this deck and they will board in a lot of cards against you, even if they're not like yeah. particularly well positioned. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't get endurance. It doesn't care that much about endurance. You just kill the endurance or something, you know, if they have that in play. And it makes mana right away. So it's only a two drop if you think about it. One yes. drop with Fox Hammer, huh? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I was like envisioning a, a scenario. It's very easy to think of like best case scenarios where you take up the Chandra and immediately dash a monkey. <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, casting Chandra off of a value underworld breach. Oh my god, I... yeah. <laughs> the classic six mana plays. <laughs> like, you dealt with or, this once, deal with it again. Or casting Chandra, tick up for two red, play underworld breach, draw three cards off Mishra's Bobble. Like... Sure, yeah, absolutely. No, no, let's go That's even further. Thing, you think... plus two the Chandra, see okay. a Mishra's Bobble, play it. Then. Oh my god. Yeah. It's oh, like, yeah. do I want to shock them or do I want to draw a card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's like, it's definitely a card I'm excited about. I think the other nice thing is all of the modes are useful, which I think is really important. You can envision scenarios where all all three of them will be. And, you know, you can envision a scenario where the, the ultimate wins the game if you really like think about it hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never never seen that ultimate win a game before. Yeah. So that's, that's finally nice a deck that you can, can make use, that happen. That you can use for minus seven. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, anything else that you want to talk about with sideboarding? Anything that is not super intuitive about boarding with this deck that yeah. would be good for people to hear about? I would say it's it's really tough to know exactly. I don't even think, I, I don't even feel great like telling like a person how to sideboard with this deck because so much of it, so much of this deck is like, about how do you want to approach a given situation? Um, what line do you want to take given mm -hmm. like what information you've gleaned from your opponent? What, you know, you look at a hand, do I do I want to like play Urza Saga on turn one and, and try to turbo combo them? Do I want to save my Urza Saga for turn three so I can cast Expressive Iteration on turn two? Like there's just so many uh, different possible decision points. Um, and so I would say in terms of sideboarding, don't be afraid to sideboard out pieces of your combo, especially the grinding station and the Mox Amber. Don't be afraid to cut Raghavan entirely. Don't be afraid to trim down on Emery, especially versus like red removal decks um, where she's a lot weaker. She's great against prismatic ending and very bad against any red removal spell. I would say I would recommend not to over sideboard, but think more about like when you want to sideboard, choose what cards you're taking out and bringing in based on how you want the game to play out because there are cards that are obviously like spell pierce is obviously great against living end but like there's a lot of stuff like against murktide is spell pierce good against murktide i still don't even know the answer to that question so it really it's way more important what you want to do versus like what's correct so to speak um, maybe one day we'll figure out what's correct but i don't think we right, know right. that right now you can't just like assign the cards a number value in the matchup you have to like see how you're going to use them and if they fit in how you're going to sequence all your other cards absolutely and it's like if you're 
bringing cards out to protect your combo, but you have to take combo pieces out for it, that's a tension point as well. Right, because one of the better answers to them countering your Underworld Breach is just like having another Underworld Breach ready to go. Exactly, yeah. Do you ever have an issue where you want to board in more cards than you want to take out? Or like... Constantly. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's so bad for me. Yeah, I I feel that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, usually... I'm going to say advice that I don't follow, but usually it's better to err on the side of boarding fewer cards in. Um, I think, um, yeah, it's very easy to like look at your sideboard and be like, well, they're going to do this and this and this on their own. And they're also going to try to stop this and this. Therefore, I want these 10 cards. But you literally, it's so so rare for you to be able to take 10 cards out of your deck and still have a functioning game plan. Yeah, I mean, because the same thing, the like, boy, it's, it's hard to change your main deck configuration because like all of these cards are important exactly. well that comes up in sideboarding too like i can cut these ragavans on the draw against this deck but other than that i'm not totally sure what is yeah. actually bad definitely i definitely find myself cutting anytime i can cut like four ragavan or four drc versus a deck i feel a lot better about the sideboarding stuff because like against like young wolf or um mem Knight, you don't want ragavan in your deck so mm-hmm. you take all four of those out and all of a sudden you have oh look at all these like beautiful sideboard cards that i've prepared for this exact moment (laughs) and it also helps that those tend to be the easiest ones to like your your sideboard is much narrower for matchups like those totally you're not like cramped on all right i want spill pierce and wear and tear and (laughs) the juke and yeah i would say murktide is the hardest deck to sideboard against and cascade is the hardest deck to play against with or sorry uh, specifically rhinos is the hardest deck to play against with this deck and i wish i had it i wish i could be like here's how you do it but (laughs) not the person for that unfortunately i i mean playing off of that like what tips do you have for people just playing this deck in general uh what should be they be thinking about when I, I don't know, everything from, like, looking at their opening hand and deciding whether or not to mulligan, and then just, like, things you've picked up about sequencing or playing certain matchups, anything that you think would be helpful for people to know. Yeah, uh, so right off the bat, I have a whole section in my article about, like, just things I've learned the hard way that I highly recommend people checking out if they're interested in this deck. I will say, in terms of, like, what hands to keep, if you can play an Emery on turn one, you keep the hand. If you have an underworld breach in your hand and like either a threat to play on turn one or like two lands, you keep the hand usually, usually uh, you're all, everything I'm saying is, you know, mm-hmm. caveated heavily by anything could change given what your opponent's doing. Um, hard to mulligan a turn one Raghavan. Anytime you can Raghavan, Mox Amber, and then do something with that Mox Amber mana, whether it's like play a, 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 an insane opener against somebody where I went turn one Raghavan, uh, I had a Mox Amber play, turn on Ragavan, tap the Ragavan, or tap the uh, Mox Amber for Springleaf Drum, and then cast the Emery for, uh, and just like, <laughs> ha- like <laughs> pass the turn. It's now you're, like, I was on the play, like, you know. Got one card um, in hand, you're up. Yeah, exactly. It's it very, like, affinity-esque start. So that's, like, a, a big heuristic. If you can, basically, if you look at your opening hand and you can visualize how the first three turns will go and you feel good about how those first three turns will go, I think you should keep the hand. And how aggressively do you mulligan when you don't, when you can't see that? 
really hard. I uh, I mulligan to four with this deck with reckless abandon, not reckless abandon with uh, <laughs> with constrained abandon. Uh, <laughs> I think that people don't mulligan enough with this deck because they see a hand with like two unholy heats, a grinding station, and even an expressive iteration and three lands that aren't sagas. People will keep that hand often, and I don't think that's a very good hand. I think playing a threat on turn one or turn two, and ideally both, is like the most important thing to do with this deck. Um, even more than having combo pieces in your hand, I would say. Like having gotcha. a thing on turn one and a thing on turn two, or or at least one or the other, is just so important. I mean, honestly, it sounds kind of like the classic mulligan mistakes with death shadow where like people will see a hand that's like oh a bolt push stubborn denial like street wraith hand this is fine it's got all this interaction it's got lands in and it. spells yeah 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 and, and you, you know you just lose those games with death shadow so it's kind, i would say kind of similar. you're the beat down in the majority of your matches and therefore you need to be beating down otherwise you will not win gotcha and your beat down can take you know forms other than i am attacking you with a creature <laughs> Absolutely. Which is why you're almost always the beat down. <laughs> yeah, Emery drawing cards is a beat down plan, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, you're not literally dying to that, but you want to die if your opponent is <laughs> yeah. Emerying every single turn. You you would elect to die if you could. Uh, <laughs> um, so as far as other like sort of tips, some general heuristics to keep in mind. Um, you need five mana in order to execute the combo, and that can be broken up over different turns because you need uh, and this is assuming you haven't been interacted with you need uh one mana for one of your legendary creatures you need two mana for the grinding station and you need two mana for the underworld breach the only thing you need in your hand to start the combo uh from an empty board is is underworld's uh breach you can't find that along the way you have to have that at the beginning the other cards there are circumstances where you can find it along the way you can start just looping mox amber or mishra's bobble with your grinding station as long as you have mana available eventually you'll hit an emery or something and you can play that if you don't have a grinding station sometimes you can dig to it uh with emery's um if you have multiple emery's they you know fuel their own escape cost which is another thing to keep in mind emery mills four cards when she enters the battlefield so as long as you're not exiling anything important to escape her from the graveyard she pays for her own escape cost if you have uh, two Mox Ambers and two Emery's and a Underworld Breach in play, you can go for quite a while digging in your graveyard before you run out of gas. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have if you start having a DRC or, or two in the equation. In fact, uh, if you have three DRC and uh, <laughs> that's a grinding station, if you have two DRC, two Mox Amber, two Emery, that's a grinding station because essentially you just need to be able to mill three cards every time you cast a card. So those are important things to keep in mind. It's sometimes you might be looking at a situation and not even realize you have a kill in front of you. Gotcha. Yeah, that is important to know. And then kind of the flip side of that, when people are trying to beat this deck, what should they be paying attention to? What are good choices to make in deck building slash deck choice? And then like in, in gameplay, what do they need to be looking out for? I'm not telling. I won't. I won't have anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I would say the number one absolute light lights out best card against you is endurance, which sucks for the deck because it's a very popular card right now. Endurance is good against all of your game plans. It's both graveyard hate and a blocker for your creatures. So that's the the number one thing. I say the next sort of like that's sort of like tier zero against you. I would say the tier one cards are like hard graveyard hate like and hard artifact hate so uh your rest in pieces your ley lines ley line of the voids your um, collector oops and stony silences those are the ones that like 
they shut off the functionality of your deck uh, because mm-hmm. you use your graveyard, you use artifacts, uh, whether it's combo for both the combo and for one of your other game plans. I would say the next like sort of below that tier is like red removal spells um, and uh, a fast clock and all of your like one off like uh, your sort of soft graveyard hate like you're, you're now spell bombs your relic of progenitus. If they have multiple relics in play, that's really hard to beat, um, which is why I often will bring in a Pithy Needle against relic decks just to like tutor up off Urza Saga. Um, one relic is pretty beatable, but if they have multiple, it gets a lot trickier. Um, mm. And uh, I would also say, um, I mean, apart from that, everything else, like we mentioned sort of at the top, everything else is like good-ish, but not everything is, you know, lights out the way that those cards that I've mentioned are. For, oh, right. Force of Vigor is also really good. I would put that in the same category as like Leyline of the Void. Maybe maybe like a half a step down below that because, you know, you can you can force them to crack their or to cast their Force of Vigor on like big construct tokens or your Urza Saga uh, and then win the game. But yeah. So anything that's like zero mana, I would say Force of Negation is really strong against you too. Better than other counter spells because mm-hmm. it's zero mana. What matters less against you than cards in hand right like like you don't need a critical mass of cards in hand to beat breach you need mana is the choke point like we we put a lot of stuff into play that you have to deal with and so you need to be able to answer those things at the same or even better rate and so that's why the zero mana stuff is so good that's why like the stuff that like just stays in play and exile stuff like exiles the graveyard uh is so good because we're playing a resource the resource uh, that matters in the matchup is the mana, not the cards in your hand. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's that's probably like a really, really good takeaway for people is just that that choke point of trying to be mana efficient and how good the zero mana spells are at like contributing to that. Even Absolutely. one of the cards I've noticed has been uh, more annoying than I thought is March of Otherworldly Light as well mm. because that's that can be a one mana card that gets rid of underworld breach and there's not very many of those yeah i i agree march is march is kind of tough it's kind of nice like andrew ellen bogan's four color list i think is only playing one march mm-hmm. at the moment and um and every single card that matters in your deck is a march target so it is a very <laughs> taxed card for them um so so yeah if people are playing four marches things get a little dicier but even that's like a one one for one removal is not that good against you they need to be sort of um and and it goes back to the same thing where like it's it's all about the mana right so it's like and if you're burning a card to force of negation something you need to be able to then like you know burn your your next card like fury i think is also pretty good against you because it can like kill two if you do that opening thing of like turn one Ragavan, turn one emery at the same time that i mentioned and i said how do you beat that the answer is they untap and fury you and then it's like okay i've lost the game uh, so yeah <laughs> get, get whiplash from the turnaround on that one that's yeah. that's pretty horrifying yeah i hope i didn't speak that into existence for myself fires up firstly <laughs> Chandra to immediately gets furied <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. uh we don't know what people actually called bears like the oh, really? only surviving word is like what what eventually became the word bear, but it means the brown one because they wouldn't speak the actual name of a bear for oh fear that it would like summon the bear to them because they Holy were so scared cow. of bears. Wow. I'm going to remember that fact for the rest of my life. 
I I also remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned it like 15 years ago, and that oh one my stuck with me. Well, I'm excited to tell someone in 15 years that fact. Well, awesome. This has been wait, enlightening I need to, I need and to fun. Ask oh, a, I need to ask a maybe harrowing question. Oh, Do wow. It. I love a harrowing <laughs> question. Drazitron, <laughs> why is that matchup so bad? I'm going to make you relive <laughs> your trauma. Oh, man. <laughs> I was watching Jarvis U play this deck yesterday on stream, and uh, he was like 3-1 going into the last match and he had a, like a, a prediction poll go up that was like, Who, do we think we're going to 4-1? And I was cooking dinner at the time, so I didn't have a chance to vote. And I'm glad I didn't because everyone's like so excited. Yeah, we're going to 4-1. And then uh, turn one, like uh, Eldrazi Temple expedition map <laughs> go. And it's just like, oh my God. So the issue with Eldrazi Tron is I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say eightfold without having actually done the map ahead of my time, uh, ahead of time. But main deck Chalice of the Void on zero so brutal against you um because you immediately you can't combo karn i mentioned stony silence is a card that's good against you uh karn is that and it's main deck and it sucks for you it's really hard to function around it, it. it grabs an artifact not, hate card or yeah or and it grabs a yeah, graveyard hate card yeah so karn is like both a game ending threat which i mentioned was good against you and a piece of like main deck hate against you thought not seer both a clock and picks apart your hand and then you know, Reality Smasher is just like, just when you think that you've maybe stabilized, then they just go, <laughs> oh, and here's the last card in my hand, by the way, 5U. Um, and you're like, okay, I lose. So those are the big ones. And then um, also just like getting Ulamogged or whatever, whatever like massive card they've put in their deck because they're greedy always punishes you. So it's just like an absolute nightmare matchup. I don't even know how to, I can't even give you advice on how to approach it because like you look at your deck while you're sideboarding and you're like, none of my combo cards are good. So am I taking 11 cards out of my deck? Uh, (laughs) None of my sideboard cards are good. Uh, So I think we all just need to collectively pray that Etron does not become a major player in the meta going forward, which I don't think is that difficult to pray for. I think uh, that deck has a lot of problems, but people love it. See, it has a lot of problems and I always say people shouldn't play it. Then it gets like fourth in a challenge and I'm like, come on. I thought we yeah. were done with this. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going away. It's like a cockroach after a nuclear explosion. It doesn't even like have a a thing now. It's not like, ooh, we can put once upon a time in our Etron deck now and, and that's that's a oh, fundamental man. change. It's just like it's just Etron. It's just the same thing. I don't want to say this uh, because I feel like I'm going to get canceled, but I did play Once Upon a Time Etron, and that deck was insane. Yeah, it hasn't been you good. You can't since really then. get canceled for like blank banned cards. <laughs> the when really? they're good, like a, come on. Yeah, I, yeah. That's I, I, this may be controversial, I, but I played Oko when it was good too. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's fair. A couple but of like, pages of Oko's in a binder right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> but Etron is just such a like a scourge. To the human race that like i think it's possible to get canceled for it but sorry Ooh. for the hot take on the podcast i don't want to get we haven't know. i mean we had will on uh like a yeah. month or two ago will krueger and he, he yeah, hasn't yeah. been canceled yet he was etron's biggest advocate and even he yeah. you know healed that's true i wow I, redemption like, is possible yeah just despise the concept of etron more than anybody you'll ever meet but i you know i don't have any hate in my heart for somebody playing it when okay, once upon fair. a time was legal to put in it like <laughs> that made a lot of sense to me to do so yeah god that deck was so crazy if you if you like play it this weekend though then we, like we probably can't be friends whoever yeah, you are you out can't, there playing you're etron. gonna like get rid of this episode it does not it never existed like it will not get released <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, anything else that I that we have not asked about that you've been thinking about this deck or modern in general or magic in general, like, please feel free to share whatever you got going on. I would love very much if Yorion were no longer legal in modern. <laughs> <laughs> it's my, my current take uh, yeah. that I think. It's just so insane that, about... like... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the companion man mechanic is just such an absurd thing uh, in this format in particular. It's such an advantage to have one in your deck, and uh, uh, I don't understand why they banned one of the broken ones, but not the other one that's sne like sneakily broken as well. So are you... I saw some tweets today or yesterday. The time blends together for me. Uh, that if you can play Gigantha, you should play Gigantha. Mm -hmm. And oh, it yeah. kind of like in that vein, like companions are so good you should just still be playing Gigantha whenever you can even though Gigantha's like a 5-5 five five. <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that for what it's worth the Breach deck could play Gigantha if it didn't have Thassa's Oracle in it and I have often considered switching Thassa's Oracle for Grape Shot in order to play Gigantha and I haven't I haven't had the courage yet <laughs> to do it but it might be the right move going forward so if anyone out there wants to try that out and decide that it's broken you could uh, also play know. a Wish instead of a Grape Shot I did that in Vegas. Uh, I think <laughs> Wish is too much mana yeah, to do anything because you have to do it that turn, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah with Grape Shot, it's nice because yes, you don't generate necessarily like twenty storm to kill them, but you can Grape Shot them and then escape the Grape Shot from the graveyard a, a second time. But what it doesn't, do, what it means is you don't get to beat like Heliod's Infinite Life combo. Not that super relevant right now, and you you know technically you lose to Leyland of Sanctity, um, and you know they can there's like and you need more cards in your graveyard to go off, etc. I think I agree with that take about you should play Gigantha, especially if you're like a Death Shadow player. I just don't want to, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah, I am convinced um, by what I have seen that, like, you know, Murktide region is great, but in the Shadow decks, I think you're better off. I, I think Murktide is, is maybe a little overvalued in the Shadow decks, and Gigantha I agree. is Move also over, just a little Murktide. bit better. We've got Gigantha now. <laughs> got, yeah, we've got, got, we've got the big old reindeer. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't think, I personally don't think Murktide is that good in Death Shadow, uh, just because, yes, you're playing a lot of like Fetch Shocklands, but the double blue is insanely difficult to do, in my opinion. Blue is, you know, the, the worst. Blue is like the least useful mana source during the Luris Grixis days, so I don't think that's changed now. Well, you still have eight red, one red mana, one drops, and then you yeah. have your death jet. Like, and your thoughts. Blue needs to be your least your color intensive color, not your most Absolutely. color intensive color, basically. Right. You, you're never fetching steam vents, watery grave yeah. with your first two fetch lands. Just, so. just play Murktide if you want to play Murktide. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no, it's, there's a reason Murktide wasn't splashing black for Death Shadow when it was a Murktide deck. Like, mm -hmm. there is a there is a Ragavan deck that plays Murktide already. Just play that if that if, if you think that's good. I think Murtide yep. is a pretty good deck right now. Yep. I I, tend I think to that's agree. not a controversial statement, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Hot take. Uh, Murktide Regent, strong card. Uh, Counterspell, pretty good. Yeah, yep. I guess. Whatever. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I feel Thanks like so we have learned a thing or two. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And for the record, I, I've been playing a lot of Grinding Station Breach. And talking about it on this podcast, but I did not actually suggest this. This was Chris's idea. <laughs> oh wow! Thank you, Chris. Oh, I I don't know. Just seemed like a <laughs> fun and good thing to do, and definitely want to grab you like 
at least like within two weeks of the top eight is <laughs> yeah we we, ha- we had to we had to get some arena complaining in last week before oh, yeah. you know totally OP announced that's priority number one yeah, and then course. priority number two yeah and then we got the the op announcement coming soon which is gonna yeah. be a whole other thing so two days I mean, until right in disappointment the, yeah yeah oh no you gotta manifest good things but yeah thank you so much this has been really wonderful and it's nice to meet you both virtually yes yeah we actually had never met before this but this <laughs> yeah. was still really nice yeah so if you want to find us online uh, I am tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on social media. I am at Lee McLeo on Twitter. Um, and Jesse, where is a good place for people to find you? I know you've got that article up on TCG, and I assume you're going to continue writing for them, hopefully. Uh, and like, where are other good places to find you on the internet? Yeah, so the best place is on Twitter, at Titty Pills. Uh, that's Titty <laughs> with two Ds, double Ds, if you will. Yes, uh, it's friendlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so that's my that's my Twitter account. You can find me there. Um, and then, yeah, the article on TCG Player. Fingers crossed there will be more in the future, although nothing firm about that yet. And yeah, hopefully my MTG Goldfish uh, page will continue to update with further results uh with or without grinding station i do play other decks but right now everyone's talking to me about grinding station so you know (laughs) yeah we gotta what grind while the iron is hot so yeah exactly you know the classic phrase grind while the iron is hot (laughs) (laughs) also if you if people listening just haven't had a chance to go read jesse's article you should it's very detailed very good after even after you listen to this podcast where we've talked about some of the same stuff uh, it's really easy to just it's all there in text. You can reference it whenever you want without having to listen to our voices. It's it's a really good resource. I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you. It. Yeah, I I was three hundred or sorry, three thousand words deep when uh I was told I asked if I had a word count and they said no, go off and I was like, Word, I will do that. <laughs> Two thousand more words specifically. Um so yeah, it's a long read, but hopefully useful. I think Lee is familiar with that particular struggle he wrote the like kci bible at one point that was like a how long was that google doc was that like 30 something pages long oh Oh my god 70 (laughs) 70 pages long i don't know (laughs) yeah this was 18 pages on a google doc which felt like a lot for me but that is well i used a lot of pictures so sure yeah i didn't have i I need i need pictures yeah for what it's worth, Patrick Sullivan gave it a seal of approval. So yeah, if, I you, saw if, you, if you weren't sold yet, hopefully that pushes you in the direction of the article. No, that's... Oh, man. I'm very jealous. I, yeah, he, he... Oh, my God. It was so... Uh, <laughs> such a nice thing to say. This is what every uh, Magic player actually yearns for, is yeah. just Patrick Sullivan's seal of approval. <laughs> and I got Daddy it with Patrick's my first CCG approval. player article. What am I, where am I going to go from here? Like, I, I mean, Jesus. now you just lord over the rest of us, right? Yeah, now I'm like, all right, I'm one and done. I've created the article that got the seal of approval from Patrick Sullivan, and uh, hope you guys, y'all be safe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I, I need a new hobby now. It's a rough yeah. <laughs> what's uh, what's flesh and blood doing these days? Let's see what. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been super fun. Everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. If you want to lend us some support, head over to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast. Other than that. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.